Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. to God's will. We all have had our why questions. We all have our why questions. Why did God let this happen? Uh, This tragedy, this job loss, this health issue, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? What, why, does, why does one man die at age 65? Why does another live until he's 100? Um, why does one get cancer and another doesn't? Why is this person healed and another isn't? My family member isn't. Why is one of my children perfectly healthy and why does another one have this disability that's so frustrating? Why is this prayer answered and another isn't? I think we all have our why questions. What's your why question this morning? What's your why question? Maybe you have more than one. And, and, and your why question can't be, why does God allow people to put pineapple on pizza? I don't, that's not my question, you know, I, because I, I understand that. I don't struggle with that one. I like it. Pineapple and Canadian bacon. But seriously, what's your why question? Think about it. What's been eating away at you? It's important that we learn to deal with these things. It's important that we learn to deal with the whys because they can keep us from a bold and vigorous faith, a courageous faith, and they can keep us from the freedom that comes with letting go And surrendering our hearts to the Lord. They can keep us from living for the Lord. Boldly and courageously. Trustingly. And that's sort of where we're going to go this morning as we come to Acts chapter 12. We're going to learn how God, the King of Kings, glorifies Himself through all these different variables. From life until and death and everything in between. God can get the glory. Whether it's through an efficacious will of His or a permissive will, we're not even going to get into the details of all that. It doesn't matter. God can and He will get the glory from life, from birth to death, and everything in between in our lives. That's what we're going to talk about. Last time we were in Acts, Luke was giving us a glimpse of Antioch. Remember that? This was a few weeks ago. We were up in Antioch, north of Jerusalem, where Paul and Barnabas were ministering. And uh, the church is up there. It's growing. It's taken off like, like spring flowers. But now Luke is going to sort of take us. Remember Luke's writing this, and he's a narrative writer, and he's, he's going to give us a glimpse now of what is going on down in Jerusalem. And what's going on down there is uh, persecution is 
kind of heating back up again. They're just going through rounds of persecution. So um, let's check this out. Verse 1. We're going to read quite a bit, actually. We're going to read a lot, and then a little bit and a little bit at the end. And uh, just I think that'll help me to communicate this passage well. But um, about that time, Herod the king uh, laid hands on some who belonged to the church to do them harm. And he had James, the brother of John, one of the, one of the sons of thunder, executed with a sword. Uh, he was likely beheaded. When he saw that it was saw that it pleased the Jews to have him beheaded, he proceeded to arrest Peter as well. Now these were the days of unleavened bread. When he arrested him, he put him in prison, turning him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending only after the Passover to bring him before the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But prayer for him was being made to God intensely by the church. They had a fervent prayer for Peter. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near Peter, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, Put on your belt and strap on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out, and he continued and, uh, and continued to follow, and yet he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. Now when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which uh, opened for them by itself, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. But when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all, the Jewish, all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gate... A slave woman named Rhoda came to answer, and when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she didn't open the gate, but she ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate, and they said, We're, you're out of your mind. You might say, you're nuts. She kept insisting, though, that it was so, and they said, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and to the brothers. And then he left and went to another place. So, quite the story. Somewhat serious, somewhat comical, right? Um, first thing we see is the death of James, the death of James in our outline. While the church is, is growing and it's flourishing up north in Antioch, persecution fires back up down south in Jerusalem. And it's uh, helpful to think that right now at this point, uh, the Christian movement is about 10 years into it at this point. So the church movement's about 10 years along uh, the Christian movement. So, um, 
we've watched it grow. We've watched it become an established uh, entity that is now uh, separate from Judaism. And uh, one of the questions is, well, why is the persecution firing up again? Well, most think it's due in part to the acceptance uh, of the Gentiles in the church, unquestionably accepting the Gentiles. The Jews who refused to accept Christ already hated the church, right? Because they thought they had a false Messiah. And now the church is accepting Gentiles as well. And again, big taboo in the Jewish tradition and culture. And so that's causing even more hate. That's part of the reason. But it's also due in part to Herod Agrippa's desire for acceptance among the Jews. Uh, He's the new leader in town. And this is not the same Herod uh, that you see in the Gospels, Herod is more like a title than it is a name. You know, just like there's many Caesars, there can be many Herods. And the Herod that Herods, I guess, that we're probably most familiar with are Herod Antipas at Jesus' trial, or Herod the Great at uh, the birth of Jesus, who tried to kill baby Jesus. And uh, by the way, Herod the Great wasn't great because of his character. <laughs> <laughs> he, was a, he was one wicked, perverted man. And uh, they called him Herod the Great because he built great buildings, like in the temple and stuff like that. But uh, he tried to kill baby Jesus, and he actually did kill his sons out of suspected betrayal. But not before one of them, named Aristobulus, has a child named Agrippa. So Herod Agrippa, this little Agrippa was not yet four years old when when his grandpa took his father's life, and this little Agrippa is then sent to Rome, and he grows up as a member of the Roman imperial court, who, uh, while he's there, then uh, befriended one of his classmates named Gaius, and Gaius, so like two childhood friends now, little Agrippa and little Gaius, Gaius becomes the Roman emperor Caligula, and Caligula would then later appoint his childhood friend Agrippa to be king over a portion of Israel. Interesting, huh? Kind of see that same thing happening today with the World Economic Forum. <laughs> Just appoint leaders in different parts of the world, right? So, um, kind of interesting, I thought. Uh, anyway, Caligula Caligula appoints Agrippa to be king over a portion of Israel, and Caligula's successor, Claudius, expands his territory when it becomes available when when another king dies. But uh, Agrippa is this people-pleasing politician, man. He was a politician of politicians type of guy. And uh, he desperately wanted to please the Jews. He was sometimes bend over backwards for them. So he, he would follow their traditions and, and try to follow their laws. And he even moved his uh, primary palace from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Remember that kind of the capital of Rome in Israel was out on Caesarea and uh, out on the coast there at that port. And he moved it to Jerusalem. And then recently, one of the ways that he figured out he could please the Jews was by persecuting Christians. So he had thrown some of these Christians in jail, and he even killed the Apostle James, the brother of John. Uh, and so James becomes the first martyred apostle. Stephen was martyred, now, now James, an apostle. 
So kind of a big moment for church history, huh? Uh, realizing it was a smash hit among the Jews, he says to himself, I'm going to get an encore at the end of Passover by doing the same thing to Peter. But Agrippa had to wait to kill Peter because, according to Jewish law, executions weren't supposed to happen during the holidays, right? Like, like Passover, to say nothing of Jesus' illegal execution during Passover. But he fulfilled Passover, right? So in God's sovereign plan, that's how that worked. But here, Agrippa's waiting because uh, Passover was one of the Jews' favorite holidays. It took place on the 14th of Nisan, around Easter time. And then, uh, uh, and just it's coming up here in about three, four weeks. Hard to believe. But uh, then, uh, what followed up that one-day holiday on the, on the 14th of Nisan was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that was about a week-long consecration festival that followed on the 15th to the 21st. And so... Uh, it's interesting to think that uh, God waits to rescue Peter until the night before he's to be executed. So he's, he might have been sitting in there the whole Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover. Interesting, isn't it? But notice that he's guarded with four squads of soldiers. Four squads, four soldiers each. I think it was called a quaternion. Uh, you can see the four in it. Um, but anyway, the 16 Soldiers total to guard one man named Peter. Sixteen on three-hour intervals, two uh, chained to him at all times, on each arm probably, and then two guarding uh, the gate. That's sentries basically. So why do, why do you think that is? Why do you think he had these many guards appointed to him? I was just thinking, well, maybe it's because this is the third time that Peter's been in custody <laughs> So, in the book of Acts alone. So he's uh, been arrested once, told not to speak, him and John, been told not to speak in, or teach in the name of Jesus ever again, or else, well, they don't stop preaching the name of Jesus. They get arrested again, only not just Peter and John, all the apostles. Remember, they were put in jail. Uh, and then... The Lord rescued all the apostles. He broke them. He busted them out of jail supernaturally. Well, uh, if you remember, there was also a, a wise man named Gamaliel. He's, uh, he, he's uh, the guy, I think, that uh, Paul was trained under. And he said this. He's one of the Jewish leaders. He said, if this Christian movement's from God, you won't be able to overthrow it. Remember, we had the whole sermon called Unstoppable. Right? The, the gospel advance is unstoppable because God's in control. And Gamaliel acknowledged that at least. And he said, if, if you, you won't be able to overthrow this thing if it's of God. You're going to be found fighting against God. Well, now here is Herod, I think, clearly fighting against God. And I think he knows it. He knows that there's, there's something going on with this church movement, right? They're doing miracles and things that, that are just unexplainable. And things are ha have happened in the past. So I'm thinking that Herod doesn't want God to do anything on this night or with, with this, uh, this attempted martyr of Peter, right? Because he doesn't want to end up embarrassed like years ago when they tried to arrest the apostles earlier. He's hoping that God lets him kill Peter just like, uh, just like they killed James. But uh, these soldiers, they don't, they don't do a lick of good, do they? <laughs> uh, not, not before a sovereign God. 
who comes and busts him out of jail in the middle of the night. And the guards don't even know what happened. And it's kind of neat. The church was fervently praying for Peter. God rescues Peter. So in, anyway, the big question that we come face to face with is this, right? Here's the bit, one of the big contrasts in this chapter. Why does God allow James to die and Peter to live? That's the big question. The answer, God's sovereign will approved of both. God works differently with different people because people are different. And His plans aren't always the same. Sometimes they're unpredictable, right? Why does one man die at 65 and another man live until 100? Why does James die? Why does Peter live? God can use all variables. Life or death to accomplish His will and everything in between, right? God can use all these variables. God could use, think about this, the courageous refuse to retract faith of James. Couldn't he? He's a bold witness. That's going to bring others to a saving knowledge of Christ. It's going to bolster other believers to do the same. Give their lives for Christ, no matter the cost. But God could also use the rescue of Peter to encourage his church and to just demonstrate that, yes, this happened, but he's still in full control of everything and that James's death wasn't an accident. So he can use death and life and everything in between to bring him glory and accomplish his will. God sometimes is going to get our attention through the things that we consider good, the rescues, the, the deliverances. He delivered me from this. Or, you know, there was a, a miracle this day. I know it. And, it. and it got my attention and it said, I know there's a God. But more often than not, what does he use to get our attention? Because we're proud sinners, right? And we think we can live without God. And it's only in the tra tragedies. It's in the tra tragedies of life, the, the loss of a job, the death of a loved one, cancer, aging difficulties. It's these things that bring us to an end of ourselves, right? That's how God usually gets our attention. Uh, prosperity preachers out there and these, uh, these man-made human philosophies, I call them perforated philosophies. They, they try to get us to believe that if, if God is good, then only good things are going to happen to me, right? Is that how he works? Is that, that's how we want to think, right? That's why a lot of people uh, don't come to Christ, because if God was good, then this wouldn't have happened to me. The guys, that's horrible theology. That's not biblical at all. No, God is good because he allows difficulties to come into the lives of people proud sinners to, to knock us down a bit, right? I think he kicks the leg out from underneath our chair with three legs now and then for a reason. So that we, when we're down, we finally look up. Guys, we, if, if, if only good things happened to us as sinners, we wouldn't want to be around us. You ever thought about that? If we just got everything we wanted... Oh, man, I just, I wouldn't want to be around me, right? We'd, we'd be arrogant. We'd be spoiled. We'd be these flabby people who have no character. I mean, easy times create weak men. 
But we know part of his will is to develop us, to, to mature us through trials and through the difficulties. That's what he's doing. He's, 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 he's doing something in us, creating us, creating within us character, building us up, perseverance and faith. And faith is not, if I have faith, well, then nothing, good's, or nothing bad's ever going to happen to me. If I just have enough faith. No, faith is trusting God and, and embracing his promises, even when things don't go the way we want them to or expect them to. That's faith. That's faith that gives God glory. We find out, don't we, what we're made of and what we really believe about God when the tragedies strike. That's when we find out what we're made of, and that's what God's going to use to make us into what he wants us to be. And again, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that you're not going to shed tears, <laughs> right? You're going to. We, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. That doesn't mean we don't shed tears. But it, it means God's, God's working in our lives. See, James, James' death was not an accident. It was, it was God's sovereign will to bring James home. James had finished his race that God had for him. You guys ever read about the two witnesses in Revelation? They, three and a half years, I think it is, they, they, they preached the gospel the whole eyes of the world are on him, on these two witnesses. And you know what it says? It says, when they finished their testimony, God let the Antichrist take their life. Three days later, they rise from the dead right there in Jerusalem, and they go back into heaven. They, they have a, a resurrection rapture. But only when they finish their testimony. I believe we are invincible until God's done with us, until we finish our testimony. James was just as invincible as Peter until the Lord called him home. So it wasn't that Peter was any holier than James or better than James or they were praying harder for Peter than James. I don't know how that all played into it, the prayer thing. But I do know that James had finished his testimony and it was time to go home. It was time to go. And you know, Daryl Daryl informed me about Steve Farrar. Do you guys know Steve Farrar? Pastor Steve Farrar. He had a great men's ministry his whole life. Well, he, I was just reading his book and one of his books in January, and I'm listening to his podcast. He's going through preaching through John. And then just unexpectedly, it was in February, and the Lord took him home. Took him home and I, he finished his testimony. And God said, Well done. None of us know when God's going to take us home. But I think we can rest freely from anxiety and fear of death knowing that our, our days are numbered by God before they even begin. Amen? Isn't that what Psalm 139 teaches us? God is so intimately involved in our lives from beginning to end that He All our days are written and ordained for us when as yet there's not even one of them. That's our intimate creator, God. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. So I rest knowing God's in control of that aspect of my life. 
Uh, let's look secondly at the rescue of Peter. Peter's chained to two guards, two guards at the door. Death is looming over his head. <laughs> he knows that it's coming in the morning. He knows what's coming for him, right? What's he doing? He's sawing logs, right? Like a chainsaw. He's snoring. And it's almost comical that the bright light doesn't wake him up of the angel. Uh, the angel actually, it's, it's hilarious. The angel's got to strike Peter's side to wake him up. Get up, Peter. We got to get going. Put your, put your sandals on. Get your belt on, that sort of thing. But there's an implication here, isn't there? That uh, we can rest confidently in the sovereign will of God. I think that's what this is saying to us. I think that's what we can learn about Peter. Peter was trusting in God. He was resting confidently in God's will. You know, whatever God's will is, whatever his timing is with my life, I know he's in control. I can sleep peacefully. Uh, God's will, his timing, his promises, I think that's, that's what Peter was holding on to. Because otherwise, wouldn't he be a nervous wreck? I mean, he'd be chewing his nails in that jail cell wondering, what are they going to do, you know? Am I going to be beheaded or crucified or what is it, you know? What's coming? Or he could have been really angry with God. If God's good, why am I in this jail cell? Why is he allowing this? He could be throwing a fit, right? Like a little child who doesn't get his way. You know, I shouldn't be here. Well, after all I've done for you, Lord, this is how you treat me. A little child on the inside, right? With his arms folded. Instead, he's, I think he's resting confidently in God's will. And you know what? Isaiah 26, 3-4 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That's a verse worth memorizing, by the way. You, you, you focus on God and he keeps you in perfect peace. God and his promises and his character, his faithfulness, his love. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. If you want better sleep at night, trust the that God's in control. Trust His promises. Focus on those and what, whatever you're going through. Um, when Peter is out in the street, though, he, he wakes from his stupor. He, he doesn't realize that everything that's happening to him is uh, actually happening to him. He kind of thinks it's a dream or a vision, but then it kind of snaps out of it, and he's like, oh, no, I'm out in the street. <laughs> I better run. So he goes to uh, the house of Mary, uh, the familiar home of Mary, mother of John Mark. We know John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark, right? Um, um, she had to be a wealthy individual. Uh, this was a place large enough for the church to meet. Uh, Mary had a servant named Rhoda, and uh, she, had, she was probably a wealthy individual. But uh, this is the place, I think, where uh, Mark, right, he goes on the, the mission with Paul and Barnabas, and he returns home. He goes to his wealthy mother's house where the church meets. And uh, he kind of become, Peter kind of takes him under his wing. 
And uh, Peter, or Mark basically becomes Peter's son in the faith, I think, at this location. And it's where the Last Supper took place, I think. All that. It's Pentecost. This is a big, 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 big location, uh, biblically speaking. But uh, anyway, uh, in, a, in another comical moment, when Rhoda answers the door and, and hears Peter, she's so excited. This is funny. She's so excited that she doesn't even let him in. She's just like, oh, you know, I kind of picture a front door and then there's a gate. You know, like a little walkway to the gate. And she can't really see him totally, but she can hear it. Oh, that's Peter. And she sees his outline. And she runs in, and she's like, Peter's at the door, you know. And they're like, you're nuts. <laughs> you're crazy. It's, it's his angel. So I'm thinking that they're, they're saying, by saying that, they're saying, well, they've, they've killed Peter, and now his spirit's here, basically, or something. You're seeing his, his spirit or something, but... Uh, Anyway, they're arguing about theology of death, and, uh, <laughs> and Peter's knocking at the door, and he's out in the dark like, somebody open this gate before the guards come, you know, and get me. But uh, anyway, uh, I, think it's, I think it's hilarious that she has to convince this church, this group of, the group of believers that's praying fervently for Peter's release, she actually has to convince them that he's actually been released. And that he's there at the door. Isn't that funny? I, I, it gives me another honest uh, principle here. That uh, I think it's an honest reality we need to face. God's will is sometimes mysterious and unpredictable. Right? So there's several passages in the New Testament where it's like, God's will for you is this, right? That you be sanctified. And you know, God's will for you is this and this and this. But God's will, in a large sense permissive and efficacious will. It's just sometimes mysterious and unpredictable. You don't know what, what he's, what he's going to do. Is he going to answer this prayer or not? That's how these early believers were operating. And so they understood God's will. And I, I remind us that this was a group of people, they've seen many miracles at the hands of the apostles the past 10 years. They've seen God rescue the apostles from jail before. They knew God was unstoppable, but their shock and their disbelief reveals to us that God was not always predictable. They would still pray prayers and not know how God was going to answer that prayer. Isn't that comforting to you? In, in this day and age where there's these uh, prosperity preachers saying things like, name it and claim it and receive it. And if you don't have enough faith, it ain't going to happen. Or the reason you didn't receive it is because you didn't have enough faith. Stuff like that. That's baloney. We pray what? According to God's will. When we pray, we pray according to God's will. We don't say, my will be done. We pray, thy will be done. It's a lot like Daniel, isn't it? Daniel and his friends, they said, I know God's able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to your statue, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, I think this tells us prayer can be very powerful, but somehow, some way, uh, God can use it in his will. And I, I ain't going to dissect all that. Never will. But God answers prayers in accordance with his will. 1 John 5.14 says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So we pray for something that we want, we desire, we ask according to His will. 
And that keeps you from the frustration of, if God is good, you know what I mean? Why not? And, and, and you can read James 4 for more about that information, too. We pray according to God's will, not just for our worldly desires. Anyway, they finally let Peter in. Peter gives them instruction to tell James, uh, different James, right? The brother of Jesus, James. This would be James, uh, Jesus' uh, half-brother, because um, Mary and Joseph had more children after Jesus was born. Brothers and sisters, actually. James wrote the book of James. He becomes a leader in the Jerusalem church. But Peter says, tell James what happened. Peter then uh, departs to an undisclosed location for some amount of time. We don't know exactly where he went. But uh, it could have been Antioch. Because we know, according to Galatians 2.14... Peter does end up there, but the next time we're going to run into Peter is uh, Acts chapter 15 when he's back in Jerusalem. But uh, Paul, from here on out in his missionary journeys, kind of becomes the focus. So this is like a major transition point, the end of chapter 12, uh, where we transition from everything going on in Jerusalem in this area to now uh, Paul and his missionary journeys that I'm pretty excited about. But thirdly, let's look at the surprise of Herod now in verses 18 and 19. When the day came, when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. And then he went down from Judea to Caesarea on the coast and was spending time there. So when Herod wakes up, imagine how incredibly furious he is (laughs) that Peter is missing. What an embarrassment, right? He was going to do for the Jews what the Jews couldn't do themselves, and that was kill Peter and, and you know, knock the block off this Christian movement. It was going to be the cherry on top for them. And uh, Peter's nowhere to be found. They make a search for him. No, nothing. They're examining the guards. The guards, they, you know, God put them to sleep. They didn't know what happened. And, uh, man, they're executed because that was the standard procedure for any soldier who was incapable of discharging his duties, especially with a, you know, a high-profile prisoner like Peter. Um, sometime later in the book of Acts, we're going to run into a guy that tries to take his own life because Paul escapes. He's about ready to take his own life. Sometimes they'd take their own life so they didn't have to face execution uh, from the state. But sometime later... Um, Herod goes to Caesarea after this on the coast to deal with Tyre and Sidon. Let's look at uh, verses 20 through 23. Now, he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And with one mind, they came to him, having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain. That would have been something like Herod's chief of staff. Uh, They were asking for peace because their country was supported with grain from the king's country. And on an appointed day, after putting on his royal apparel, Herod took his seat in the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. And the people repeatedly cried out, the voice of a god and not of a man. And then immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him. So an angel struck Peter for good, right? Get up, I'm rescuing you. Now an angel strikes Herod. In judgment, because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and died. That should have been my introduction, right? 
I would have got your attention. A guy is going to get eaten by worms and die in this chapter, and you guys would have been all ears. But uh, So this occasion, anyway, takes place in the year 44. And uh, some suggest this is five months later, in August, uh, when it took place. Um, you know, so we were at Passover was, you know, April, March, and back in Nisan, the Jewish month of Nisan. Doesn't quite line up with ours. They have a lunar calendar. And uh, we don't. So anyway, it's sometime later. And I think that should be of interest to our question, our why questions. You're telling me God let this man go after beheading James for some time? Like, what's up, what's up with that? Why does evil prosper? Why, why does God let this apostle killer live for some time after, afterwards? Aren't you wondering? Well, that's because God... Even though God will right every wrong, God doesn't immediately right every wrong. Amen? That's how it works. He could have struck down Agrippa any time, but we see that God, in His wisdom, waited for the perfect time to strike down Agrippa when it was made clear that he was fighting against God. And it was when the people were making him out to be God. Okay, so... Uh, it's an unforgettable moment. Um, sooner or later, we need to trust that God will avenge us. And uh, we are called to leave room for His vengeance. Romans twelve nineteen says, We leave room for His wrath. He will repay in His perfect timing. So the death of James does not go unanswered. It just has to wait a little bit until God's perfect timing says, Now, right? We don't know precisely why, but the people of Tyre and Sidon, uh, they had angered Herod. And because Herod oversaw the territory of Galilee up in northern Israel, which is like the breadbasket of Israel. Remember, that's where all the hicks hang out and the farmers and ranchers. Um, anyway, uh, he enacts an embargo cutting off the supply chain from Galilee to the area of Tyre and Sidon, Phoenicia, out on the coast. And so... Um, hungry as they were, they want peace with Herod, don't, right? I mean, we're not getting food. We're going to starve. We're going to have a famine. They're, they're beaten into submission by a famine. And so now they're, they're willing to say and do anything to appease Herod. And that includes calling him a god. Yeah. No one actually, do you really think people there that day actually believed that he was a god? I, I don't think so. I think they were just playing politics. They were hungry, Okay. But uh, interestingly enough, uh, the historian Josephus collaborated this event. He wrote about this event uh, in further detail, saying that Agrippa, what he did was when he, he came out at just the right time in the morning when the sun's coming up, so that the ra- he, he came out in this, like, this silver gown, basically. It was made of holy silver, and so when the sun hit him, it was just refracting all of this light. You know, he's kind of hard to look at kind of guy. Um, just has this angelic and divine radiance was what he was after. And uh, that's why the people, that kind of makes sense why they would call him a god and not a man, right? Um, that's, that's what he was after. 
But then this real angel comes along and strikes him down on that stage, and he dies of worms. And this is probably TMI, uh, but too much information. But uh, this might have been something like a worm cyst. He had like a pocket of worms in his intestines that, that when the angel struck him, it burst open in his intestinal tract, which obviously plugged him up, and he, he dies. But it, it would cause, I think it was called the dog worm, and you'd see this in like sheep country, and it really wasn't that uncommon, you know, for, for someone to die this way but from worms, right? And uh, anyway, it started like with, as Josephus described it, as like immediate agonizing pain. And sometimes you die immediately, and sometimes it was just a few days later. And he says that um, that pain hit suddenly on the stage there when he refused to give God glory, and it lasted for five more days, and he dies. But... Uh, Anyway, the final contrast here in chapter 12 is between this puny little earthly king and then the king of kings. You see that? Herod, King Herod versus the king of kings. Herod refused to submit to the sovereign king of heaven. He was found, like Gamaliel said, fighting against God and he was struck down in judgment. And it shows us that, you know, we can run, we can hide from God, we can shake our fist in his face all we want. But sooner or later, he's going to call us to account. These, these people doing wicked things in the world that, that, that just makes our, our souls just grieve. Why doesn't God do anything? He will. Leave room for his wrath. He's going he's gonna to answer those, those wicked things in his timing. And quite honestly, I'm a sinner, so I'm glad he doesn't always act immediately. I'd be struck down. We all would. So he gives us time and he's patient, that sort of thing. But um, think about this. The story of our lives play out and end our eternity based on whether we have surrendered to God or not. Think about that. Our surrender to the King of Kings affects our life and our eternity, our rewards. And so the final principle I've got for us is surrender to God's will. Don't, don't fight Him. Don't be like Herod and just fight God and shake your fist at him. I hope that none of us today are shaking our fist at God, refusing to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. If you are, I have to warn you, it won't end well for you. But some of us, even though we're saved, we're not going to face eternal judgment. We can still shake our fists at him. Even as believers, we can shake our fists at him for things that have happened in our lives that he has allowed or maybe hasn't done for us, and we can develop grudges against him. Maybe it's a, a prayer that we've been praying that he hasn't answered the way we wanted him to, and it's just creating some animosity in our hearts. Yeah, you, you believe in Jesus, certainly, but your faith is anything but vigorous and free because you've refused to surrender your why to Him. 
and it's eating you alive on the inside, and it, maybe it has been for years, causing pain and bitterness and gut-wrenching agony because you're just fighting against God in this why. As hard as it is, what you've got to do, I think, is you've got to take your why question and you've got to let it go. And you've got to trust the good, good Father of heaven who works all things, not some things. Does it say some things or does it say all things? He works all things for the good of those who love him. Amen? Man, last night when I, when I finished this message, I, I had something hit me like a ton of bricks, guys. When I realized that, I had a why question situation in my own life that was creating animosity in my own heart towards God. There wasn't something to, you know, it wasn't like I had this big moment in my life where this happened. It was something that just built up over time. Because I'd been praying about something and the answer wasn't coming the way I expected it to. And my wife could tell you what it is. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> but she could tell by my comments. And I could tell it was, it was becoming something. And I had to let this message last night shepherd my own heart. And I, I can't tell you guys how freeing it is. Sorry. Just to, to lay this thing that I've been wrestling with God about for a year now, to just lay it at his feet, the king of kings' feet, and just say, God, you are perfect in all your ways. Do you really believe that? You are perfect in all your ways. If I didn't get my way, I don't care. You're perfect. And your grace is sufficient. How do you want to let this situation change me and make me more like your son? And so I, I just encourage you this afternoon, think about your why question. Take it, take it to the Lord. Find some alone time with the Lord. Take it to Him and just give it up already. Quit wrestling with it. Give it to Him. Say, Lord, I, I trust you. I'm going to let go, and I want to be free of this again. And let's, let's move on. Let's, let's, let's see what you want to do through this to create in me a character that's more like your son. Be free again, guys. This early church here, we know they weren't perfect. They didn't have it all together. We've seen the problems of this early church in Acts. That <laughs> problems within, they had problems without. But the church, they kept trusting God despite all the complexities of God's will that they didn't understand. Look at, look at verse 24. The, this is the summary statement for this chapter before we embark on these missionary journeys with Paul. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. Wow. You mean they didn't give up when James lost his head? No, they trusted God. And Barnabas and Saul, they returned when they had fulfilled their mission in Jerusalem, which was bringing an offering from Antioch down to the, the church in Jerusalem to bless them. And then they, they took John, who was also called Mark, with them on their missionary journeys. And so they said, we're moving on. We're going to keep preaching the gospel. Nothing's going to stop us. 
You can't stop God. You can't stop his church. The gates of hell will never overpower it. It'll never overcome it. Is it unpredictable? God's will and what's going to happen? Yeah. It is. But is it unstoppable? No. When his church trusts him and the gospel is going to advance no matter what you throw at it because God is the one at the controls. Spirit blows where it will. You can't see it, but you can sense it. And that's how the gospel advances. Amen. Lord, forgive us for all the times that we've expected you to respond to every situation the way we think you should. Whatever our why is this morning, pray that we'd give it over to you. And that we would resolve to trust you because you are God and we are not. Wrestling over the what ifs and the what might have beens is a waste of time. I pray that you would set us free to continue to trust you with whatever our why is. You're the one, Lord, who, who orders our life from beginning to end before we are ever born. Help us, Lord, to, to lay those things at your feet. Forget what lies behind. To look up and to press on toward the goal, the upward call of Christ. We look forward to the day, Lord, when we can look back in heaven, in eternity, on all that you've done, the complexities of life, the things we, we, we don't understand. We can still say, you're a good father. You know exactly what you were doing. Jesus' name.